You're very welcome back to this week. Well, it is getting to the stage where everyone knows someone touched by homelessness, whether they're couch surfing, entering emergency accommodation or languishing for years on a housing waiting list. Father Peter McVerry of the Peter McVerry Trust is here with us in studio. But first, I joined some of those marching through Dublin yesterday for the Raise the Roof protest and heard their stories. I was homeless twice. How did that occur, Molly? Landlords, and then we got, like, evicted, and then, yeah. So, Mum, that was a terrible experience? It was, because she was four when it started, and she's lived in nine different places, and we were in Mountjoy Street, and it was emergency accommodation, and we were evicted from that. And then we went into another few hotels. Then, that was when she was four. And then, when she was seven, we went back into the home. 11-year-old Molly and her mum, Carol, have spent years on the move. Molly, who recently addressed an Ombudsman for Children event at Leinster House, wants those in power to know the reality of so many children's lives. It's, it's like awful and you feel like um, unwanted enough. You feel like you're just like blocked out. What's the hub situation like? Describe it to me. Like you feel ashamed leaving. And um, I actually said in my speech that the only time I didn't feel ashamed was at Halloween because I had a mask oh, yeah. and like no one could see me. Molly and Carol have their home now but are taking nothing for granted because homelessness can hit at any age. Uh, I've been homeless twice in the last uh, seven years. You know, I had a roof over my head, as I said, kind of a rehearsal recording studio, but I was technically homeless twice. How, how did that happen? Well, I split up with my girlfriend at the time and there's no way I could afford a place on my own. Absolutely not. I'm 57 years old, it's absolutely disgraceful. Some of my age should be in this position. I, I'm not willing to share a house again at, at my age. I did 10 years ago and it was a nightmare. You're angry? I've never been more angry in my whole life. And I lived through the 80s. I lived through the recession in the 80s. I was uh, unemployed for five years in the 80s. Luckily for me, I'm a musician and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm also an artist. I could always pick up a bit of work as a street artist in the 80s. But it's way worse now because everyone could afford a roof over their heads back, back then. People see- are sharing bed with strangers, literally. The rents are so high. It's disgusting. Not far from the city centre march, I met a man trying to remain drug-free after years of addiction left him homeless and on the streets. Like I was a heroin addict for 15 years. Now I'm on a maintenance since I've been on Blackberry's hostel. He's now secured six months of accommodation through the Peter McVerry Trust and he tells me that many on the streets tend to avoid some of the homeless hostels. You have to sleep with your money in your underwear because people are robbing you. They're injecting drugs into themselves, smoking crack, smoking heroin, banging up, doing all sorts of stuff around you. And so the hostel now, I'm in an STA hostel, which means it's a roll-on bed. It's 47 euros a week rent, but that includes me food, me washing clothes being washed, dried. So only for the likes of Peter McFerdy, like, people like me wouldn't survive. Just wouldn't survive. Their voices from the street yesterday. Now, P- Father Peter McVerry, welcome to this week. Thank you very much indeed. Well, we, we heard some of them there on the street and that last man in particular telling me that, that many homeless who we see on the streets every day in Dublin are reluctant to stay in some, not all of the, of the hostels. How have places that are supposed to provide a bit of warmth and shelter to, to people become places that they consider dangerous? 
Well, some of the hostels are excellent and people are very happy in them, but many of the hostels are really an insult to the dignity of homeless people. You're sharing a room with uh, maybe four or five or six others. Uh, You don't know who you're going to be sharing with. The others you're sharing with may may be using drugs, as you heard, in the middle of the night in front of you. Your property is not safe. You don't feel safe. Many people don't want to go into hostels because they don't feel safe and they know their property is likely to be robbed. Every day I'm getting complaints from people uh, to say that their property was robbed during the night by by somebody who, who they were sharing a room with. I think that... For the dignity of homeless people, we ought to be able to provide every homeless person with their own room or at least their own lockable partition space where they know they can go to bed, they won't be assaulted during the night, their property will still be there in the morning in front of them and if somebody wants to use drugs in the next room or partition space, it doesn't affect them. I think that's the minimum we could we should require. I've constantly called for HICWA to be in, given the responsibility for inspecting homeless hostels but that's fallen on deaf ears and the reason it's fallen on deaf ears is half them would be closed down overnight. Okay. And that would create a huge problem for local authorities and for the Dublin homeless executive. Now, you're saying also that there are more non-Irish in the hostels and this is leading to racism. What are you hearing? No, I don't think the non-Irish in the hostels is re- leading to racism, uh, but there is an increasing number of, uh, there is an increasing problem with racism. Uh, I think that's due to uh, people are waiting longer and longer on, on housing waiting lists. So you mean in general, that in there's general, a racism, yeah, in, in general. general, like what, what we've and seen. And amongst homeless people and people who are waiting for a home. They believe, rightly or wrongly, they believe that the immigrants and the Ukrainians are coming in and taking the homes that they should have. Now, that's not true. <laughs> but uh, that's the, the image that's being presented uh, and that's creating uh, attitudes of, of, of racism. Yeah, the Tonish, they said during the week that people shouldn't have a veto over who comes to live in their area. Do you think that people in community should be consulted about who's coming in or, or if a new emergency accommodation facility is, is being opened in an area? Well, up to a point, but if you try to open in anything in an area, you're going to meet a lot of opposition. And some of that opposition, you can consult for the, till the cows come home, but the opposition isn't going to go away. So I think we have to come to some sort of arrangement whereby locals are consulted and a, a proposal is put that satisfies the majority of those but uh, I don't think they should have a veto on the existence of, a, of some sort of facility in their area. Now, the eviction ban is in force from now until the end of March. Is that long enough to give you space and time to, to, to deal with those who are coming to you seeking um, no, uh, accommodation? We would, we would like an eviction ban for two or three years. It worked during COVID. The number of homeless people dropped by almost 1,000 partly because of the eviction ban uh, during the the first uh, wave of, of COVID. The other thing that made a difference was that Airbnbs came back into use as private residential because there were no tourists coming. And, you know, there are 10 times more Airbnbs advertised out there than there are private residential accommodation. And almost all those B&Bs are, are illegal. They are not, they are, do not conform to the, uh, to the regulations of where necessary to the planning permission. 
it should be illegal for anybody to offer an Airbnb if it doesn't conform to the uh, to the regulations and it should be illegal for an Airbnb platform to uh, advertise to be ad- to uh, an Airbnb if it doesn't conform if we brought all those Airbnbs back into use uh, which are not re- which are currently are not regulated we're talking mm. of Do you think having a register for no. private accommodation lettings is that going to solve anything We have a register for private accommodation lettings most landlords, uh, most landlords do uh, do uh, go to the register for short term uh, lettings. Short term, oh, lettings. for short yes, term, yes, as Catherine Martin has suggested. Oh, absolutely. They, I mean, effectively, you're talking of Airbnbs. Yeah, there should be. So, would that would that solve the problem? Do you think it would make a huge difference? Airbnbs coming back into use would make a huge difference. The other thing that would make a difference: we have vacant homes everywhere, vacant property everywhere. Right. Waterford have brought back in the last eighteen months have brought back fifty to sixty empty buildings back into use. 16 local authorities have brought none back into use or maybe one back into use. If every local authority imitated Waterford and brought 60 units back into use in the next 12 months, we're talking of several thousand units. And then we have modular units. You know, we could have 5,000 modular units in place by the middle of next year. Can I just ask you about a report that came out 50 years ago, the Kenny report, and that was on on, on land. You think that that report should be put into into use now? It should. What would it do? It would reduce the cost of housing by at least a third because a third at least and sometimes more of the cost of a house is the cost of the land on which it is built. And that land was, generally speaking, uh, it's the subject of speculation. Uh, once planning permission was uh, was was received for that land, the cost of that land went up tenfold, and that increases the uh, the price of the house. If we were to implement the Kenya report, it could bring the cost of housing down by at least a third. And what depresses me, there's not even any discussion at a political level on the Kenya report. It's been lying there for fifty years, and I'm wondering why, why in this crisis. When housing is beyond the reach of, of so many people, why are we not even discussing the Kenny report? OK, Father Peter McVerry, thank you very much for joining us in studio today.